Princess Bride, Top Gun, Grandma's Boy. What do these movies have in common? Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> well, I guess I guess you could say they are movies that are made by directors who don't make horror movies. That's true. Wait a minute. That's not entirely true. Each one of them has made at least one horror film, and we'll be discussing these films and these filmmakers on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another minty fresh episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike. This is episode 177. I did it again. Rule at this. I can count. That's eh, debatable. But let's think about that for a minute, shall we? You One, being able to count? 170. No, oh. episode 177. We've done this 177 times. Crazy, right? In eight you years. Guys have. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's just, I don't have those kind of numbers. <laughs> one day, one, one day, Grasshopper, one day. Before you know it, you'll look up. Like, and then you'll be just like where I am at right now. What have I done with my life? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, on this show, on this episode, we're going to be talking about three filmmakers Tony Scott, Rob Reiner, and Nicholas Goosen. Is it Goosen? Let's go with Goosen. I'm going with Goosen. Now I know what you're thinking. These directors have never made a horror movie. Why are you talking about these guys on a horror movie podcast? What is this world coming to? It's the end of times! Armageddon is upon us! But on contrary, podcast listeners, where these filmmakers are not known for making horror films, each one has a proverbial skeleton in their closet. And we will get into all of that in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor. How about I do that, huh? You should do that. Attack of the Killer podcast is being sponsored by Shudder. Oh. Whoa, hello. Shudder! <laughs> Shudder is a premium streaming service for horror fans. The ever-growing streaming channel is loaded with hours upon hours upon hours of classic horror films, forgotten B-movies, amazing horror films, and Shudder original content made for you, the horror fan, and all of us. Now, you can get Shudder for $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. And as a gift to you for being a loyal listener to our show, we will give you a month for free. That's right, a month for free! Whoa! So go to Shudder.com backslash podcast, use our special promo code, A-O-T-K-P, that's our special promo code, nobody else's. That's right. Use that promo code, and then you can check it out. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. I wish I wish my Roku uh, controller had like just the Shudder button, Right. so <laughs> I have to go like searching for it. Just said, boom, Shudder, there. Exactly. Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together and discuss movies within a specific topic. Now, we talk freely about the films, and so there's probably going to be some spoilers. 
just to give you a heads up. Also, Attack of the Killer Podcast is a proud member of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The PFPN, as it's called around the water cooler, is a network dedicated to providing you with various shows that cover different realms of pop culture. With 12 shows and growing, um, you can check them all out on the channel, on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, if you just go to thepfpn.com and you can check it out. Do it! Do it! Doug! Nice. Do it! Do it now! (laughs) Even Arnold says, do it now. (laughs) Kill me, I'm here! (laughs) (laughs) And if you enjoy our show for the various uh, impressions that we do, and you want more... You could become a Patreon supporter. <laughs> and uh, when you do get... Wait, what? <laughs> Who wrote this? This is, what I have. this is what happens when you're typing at one in the morning. The night before the show. But that's never happened before. So you get even more Attack of the Killer podcast in various forums when you are a Patreon supporter. Stuff like Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten list... Um, special videos, bonus episodes, so much great stuff. Weekly videos. Weekly videos. That's Made right. Exclusively for Patreon. You will never go a week without some kind of content from us here at Attack of the Code Podcast. Two or three things. Yeah. That's right. That's well, awesome. if, you, if you're out there listening and be like, man, every other week is, the, is a show yeah. and I have to wait... Till the next two weeks from that next one, you don't have to wait anymore, man. Yep, for as little as a dollar a month, a dollar a month, you can get bonus episodes on the off weeks that the main episodes aren't posting. That's nuts. Yep. So check it all out at patreon.com backslash aotkp. Pick your tier. Start getting Attack of the Killer podcast on a weekly basis. Do it. And now it's that time in the show where I introduce you to the podcast crew. Much like one of tonight's movies, he too has a demented brother locked up in his basement. His brother's name is Alice. And how does he keep his brother trapped in the basement? Well, he keeps Alice in chains. Andy Wassum, everybody. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I was really hoping somebody would break out in Man of the Box. I was really hoping. Yeah. Yes. I have a a stuffed rooster as well. (laughs) He also has a typewriter with the letter N missing, which is good. That way he can't type offensive N words such as Nickelback. Tad Good, everyone! It's true, because I never can say no either. I have a hard time saying no, and that's how I ended up on this podcast. Classic Ted. <laughs> and lastly, he once dated Susan Sarandon, but he broke it off because she was a real pain in the neck. Jason Bollinger. Oh, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening. Was the show over? No. To be fair, I actually had pizza with Susan Sarandon, so... No kidding? Yeah. Oh my god. I don't know if I could handle that. It was weird. How did you ha- how did you have pizza with Susan Sarandon? There's a story and you're not going to tell it. You're going to leave me hanging. So you need no, to tell she the story. was on the road with uh, Bernie Sanders. We went and saw him 
uh, do is during his campaign rally, and then we went to Moto's after to have pizza, and her and her bodyguard came and sat next to us and had pizza. Nice, man. Pretty knew, simple, yeah. Knew I should have paid attention to politics. Yeah, there you go. Or just went out to eat pizza more often. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. I don't Moto's know. If, no, I don't know. Now, that so. What's that? I said Moto's is closed now, so it's sort of a bummer, but. Uh, but I you. Know, they, had good, they had good pizza, too. The best. Damn it. So, yeah, so Ted, why don't you take it from here? Well, we're going to go into our segment, What We Watched. Just going to kick it right off. Jason, what did you watch? Oh, gosh. Everybody get comfortable. He's pulling up his list on his phone. I watched. I'm going to go to... He's scrolling. <coughs> my letterbox here. Uh, I think I counted like 15 movies. I won't... I'll just bl- breeze through since the last time. Um, uh, uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. saw that. I liked it. I think I liked it more than Tad did from his last review. Mm. Um, I just thought, I don't know, maybe it was your review that made me go into it a little uh, easier. Yeah. I just, I, I, I definitely saw the comedy through the whole thing. I thought there was interesting, it was an interesting world he created. I mean, I personally don't know high art people, but I don't know, I just saw it. I, I just took it for this interesting world with interesting characters um, but I'm also with you. Like it was hard to have somebody to root for, but um, it was it was cool. Um, I got through my Maximum Overdrive uh, new Blu-ray. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got through my There's Nothing Out There Blu-ray. I had to go get that. There's like a million hours of content on there. I know Mike's working through it too. Mm-hmm. I've got it. I'm going. I'm gunning for that. Oh man, it's it's worth Get it. Get it soon. Yeah, there's so much stuff on there. Um, I saw. I watched a uh, Shutter exclusives horror noir, and I really liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. That was super good. Um, Mortal Engines. I don't know if that counts. That was super awesome. I really liked it a lot. Peter Jackson. Come on. Yeah. Um, he's oh. somebody I'd wish to make a horror movie. An evening with Bever- nah. Beverly. <laughs> I thought about that too. Like, it could be we could call bullshit. Or we could be we bust some chops yeah. on that bonus episode. But, um, <clears throat> evening with Beverly Left Lynn. I watched that. Yes! Although you weren't as excited about it as I am. So. I mean, it was okay. I, yeah. I just. What I, Go ahead. Oh, uh, what I love about. Um, the Greasy Strangler is that it's legitimately all the actors are weirdos that he casted in this movie. And and in uh, Beverly Left Lynn, like, it was normal people acting like weirdos, and it just seemed obvious to me. And it, I don't know. It's, it's part of his curse, I think. You know, I don't know what... I don't know. It was half and half, actors-wise. So, and plot-wise, it was very weird so he didn't he didn't leave the weird realm but yet he brought normie i don't know it was just awkward for me i mean it was still good i like all the people but 
Um, Prisoners of the Lost Universe. That was awesome. Um, it was Rift Tracks. <laughs> and let's see. Anna and the Apocalypse. I saw that. That was super fun. I liked it. Oh, shit, yeah. So, two nights ago, I watched The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. Okay, tell what the F is this movie? It's... Is it cool? It's super cool. Does it disclose the title? Yeah. Because it's Sam Elliott in the lead of a movie. And, well, it's, it, is, it is the title. <laughs> I mean, yeah, good, good. It really is... Uh, that simple and um i'm game <laughs> yeah the man who killed hitler and then the bigfoot and he's just kind of like this old war vet that was <clears> on a <throat> secret mission and killed hitler and then he's kind of retired and they like and so in this movie the bigfoot they find a bigfoot in canada and he's carrying the plague and it's killing everyone but somehow his blood is immune, of course. Who, who Sam Elliott? Sam Elliott's oh, okay. blood is immune. And, and Slash, he's the only one qualified to kill this Bigfoot anyway because he's, such, Cause a he's badass, such a badass. Right? So he has to go into the woods and mountains of Canada by himself and fight, try to find Bigfoot and kill Bigfoot. So it sounds like it's more of a um, like an exploitation version of Forrest Gump. But it is played 100% serious. And that's awesome. And it's fucking awesome because of that. Uh, it's so... I think you sold me. Yeah. Like, the title, like, sometimes you get a title like that, and then it's like, it, you know, it means something completely different when you watch the movie. Yeah. But I want to see a movie. If you're telling me that this movie is about a guy who kills Hitler and Bigfoot, I want to. I better damn well see this, this guy this kill guy. Hitler and Bigfoot. Yeah, the life of this guy who does those two things, and yeah, the story is played straight, and the story's good. There's there's a lot of um, build up. Larry Miller's his brother. I know you like Larry Miller. Yeah. Uh, oh man, it's it's neat. I don't want to oversell it, but man, it's. It's super great. Worth worth a watch. And Cold Skin, I watched that uh, Sunday too. It's on Shutter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, about these two two people who are basically at the end of the world, and and they have to watch this lighthouse, and and at night fish people come and attack them every night, and they're the only ones there for a year, and they mm-hmm. have to fight these fish creatures nice and it's uh it's fucking beautiful and the cinematography is amazing and it's monsters and it's isolation beyond isolation and it's um it's, it was pretty dang good it's pretty dang good oh man i forgot to talk to you about that movie that's not a horror movie but let's just mention it oh Very a futile and stupid gesture i don't know if you watched what is, that what is it a futile and stupid gesture it's a it's a David Wayne movie. A lot of the uh, state guys are in it, but it's uh, it's got. Oh, is that the Will Forte movie? That's the uh, National Lampoon biopic. I told you about that one, didn't I? Oh, I saw I that months ago. Oh, that it's been out forever. Yeah, I just yeah. finally finally watched it. That was night. awesome, God, wasn't it? it? I thought of you the whole time because <laughs> I know you like all those guys. But 
And it's got, you know, it's it's got like, oh, god dang it, what's his name? Um, Snappy McSnapperson. Yes, from um, um, <laughs> from Community, the main guy from Community. Joel. Joel McHale. McHale plays Chevy playing Chase. Chevy Chase. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Thomas Lennon. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's got freaking everybody. It's yeah about the National Lampoon guys. It was really freaking good. I I, I really loved that. Yeah, I'm so, glad you finally saw that. That's cool. Yeah, it's been on my list forever. Anyway, blah 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 blah. Seen a lot of stuff. That was half of it. All right, that's what I watched. Excellent. I guess that's a good transition, Mike. What did you watch? Well, I didn't get a chance to watch a whole lot. At least uh, not in the world of horror. So I will just name drop. Uh, um, I yesterday. Uh, Simon and I went to go see Lego Movie 2, so that was funny yeah. and fun. I love those Lego movies so much. Um, also recently, again, it's not a horror film, but um, I want to mention it because I'm standing on a soapbox here. Um, I watched Happy Time Murders, and screw you all in the world, man. I thought this movie was hilarious. I loved it. It was great. I loved it, too. And I liked, I mean, I just liked everything about it. And as soon as, it, like, when I first saw the trailers and stuff, I was like, oh, that could be fun. Didn't really think too much of it. But then, like, recently I had heard that it was Brian Henson who did the movie, and I'm like, well, I'm sold. I have to see it now. I mean, I guess I'm coming in more in tune with my feelings about about puppets, but apparently I must be a, a sucker for puppets, man, and puppet movies, because, mm-hmm. like, I just, you know, was sucked in, and, like, I mean, I can watch, you know, there's definitely a lot of, uh, it's it's a funny movie, a lot of really funny gags and stuff, and but a lot of people, a lot of reviews I stu- read and stuff, and just how, like, it just relies on the the shocking toilet humor, and it's not funny. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's a lot of that, but there's more that's going on, and 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 there's a lot of it that's funny. But I can also see where like maybe some missed opportunity for humor was. Like I I kind of see maybe like um, like a movie like Meet the Feebles I think works for me in the fact that um, it's a lot of adult content that's going on, but it's still silly silly animal puppets where in this movie like most of the puppets just act like normal people and talk like normal people there's only like a few puppets here and there that maybe have the squeaky high-pitched silly voice or do goofy things and stuff like that um but at the end of the day too though like part of me also likes that other side of it where like the the puppets are playing it straight um even though it's still funny yeah, I just thought the comedy styling of that movie was still unique. It wasn't just a dick and fart movie. Like, there's still <coughs> an interesting perspective of comedy going on just because of what it was. <clears throat> yeah, so I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, I also, uh, also watched that horror noir um, documentary. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyed some of the some of the uh, some of the people from the horror community that they got to speak in this film. Like you know, I expected to see Tony Todd there. I expected to see um, Ken Forey there. I expected to see um, um, Jordan uh, Jordan Peele there, um, but I did not expect to see Kincaid from Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three and Four. <laughs> I didn't expect him to show up, or Jason, your favorite, Kelly Minter. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't expect her to be there. I um, even. 
Um, the, I guess the only thing I was disappointed in, because it had, it had, oh, I can't remember the actor's name, but it had um, the actor that uh, ate those damn enchiladas in Friday 13th Part 5. Oh, Miguel uh, Nunez? Yeah. And at no point did they talk about Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's what I thought was odd. Especially too. considering that, you know, they talk a lot in this movie, in this documentary, about the horror trope being that you're, if you have a black actor in your horror film, he's there to service the white characters and usually sacrifices himself or gets killed off, um, killed, killed off right away. But in Return of the Living Dead, other than the fact that the whole town gets nuclear, um, nuclear blasted, he's, he survives the whole movie. Yeah. So, um, I thought for sure that was going to get brought up at one point, but it never did. But but regardless, it was a, it was cool seeing the whole history of of African American actors in in cinema uh, throughout the decades, going all the way back to like the you know, the racist like you know the black man's always the the zombie and. And then all you know, and then getting into Dwayne Jones and Night of the Living Dead, and um, and again, you know, also having Ken Forey there, and not and them not talk about Dawn of the Dead. Thought that was weird too. Um, yeah. Again, being the black actor in the film, he's the main hero of the film, and he survives the film. So I'm sure they did, but just you know, yeah, maybe you know, cut, cut it down for time. Sure. Yeah, true. But again, like it doesn't matter because. Um, they touched on a lot of stuff that I thought was great. I, I was I loved how they brought up Death by Temptation. I never expected that to be talked about, yeah. but yeah, it was a great documentary and and eye opening as well um, on on how uh, how our genre has treated uh, treated black people over the years um, and some of those crucial moments in in film history that has really supported. Um, kind of the direction that it's gone to nowadays. So, great doc, a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, I'm still going. And then I watched the first uh, first scene and opening credit sequence of Possum, and then fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, and the only reason I bring it up, that first scene and that opening sequence, like, I mean, Tad, you saw this movie, right? I think it was you that talked about it. Yep. And when you talked about it, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be anything I would like. But I was really capped. That opening credit sequence I thought was cool looking. I thought it was oh, yeah. very cool looking. So now I'm really interested to see the whole movie. But, yeah, I fell asleep immediately after the opening credits. So I, I will get to it because I'm, I'm really intrigued. Yeah, I'm curious to hear what you think when you watch the rest of it. The poster is kind of what made me finally click on it because that, that weird looking thing. A black silhouette, weird-looking thing on the uh, on the cover. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I gotta see what this is. Anyway, it's that's interesting. What I Excellent, mm-hmm. Andy. What about you? Well, I too watched uh, horror noir on Shutter, and you guys have pretty much you know touched on most of the things. You know, it's like how they were portrayed in the past. You know, a lot of you know. All they all knew voodoo and they all knew all this mysticism and stuff and or they were you know uh, they relied them on them for the comic relief and such especially you know in the black and white age but I tell you one thing seeing Ken Faree and Keith David 
seeing the monster mash like restored my faith in humanity. I absolutely love that. Uh, of course, you know, you guys know I'm a I'm a huge uh, They Live fan, so um, I I watched uh, Miss Forty Five on Shutter too as well. Nice. And I re- I really really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, yeah. I've I've never actually I I do have Driller Killer here. Uh, Abel for Ferreira. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've yet I've yet to watch that, but I was just like that. The the Miss Forty Five just oh, the it always uh, intrigued me, and uh, it was you know of course she doesn't say a word until the end of the film, uh, when she's killed. But I I really enjoyed that. Uh, I watched uh, the whole series of Russian Doll, which you know it has Natasha Leone on, and she keeps yeah. dying. And she doesn't know why. Although it's very close to, I hear it's very close to Happy Death Day, but there's a twist in this series that that makes it different. It, it makes okay. it a little cool because, uh, like, I saw the trailer and I love her, but I'm like, oh, this is, this looks too much like Happy Death Day. It's too soon for me. And I, yeah, I, and I can under, I can understand that, but uh, just just uh, give it a chance, and I think I think you'll. Really like it. It's not. I mean, there are some ways that she dies. It's kind of gory, but it's. I don't know if I would necessarily call it horror per se, but it does have no horror, no. El- horror elements to it. It looks like it's more uh, comedy. It, so maybe yeah, you're leaning it, a little more towards um, Groundhog Day than yeah, Happy Death. Well, Day, yeah, but. yeah. I would say dark, dark comedy. Yeah, is what I call it. Uh, I also watched. Um, now this doesn't really relate to to horror per se, but I watched, I'm a big fan of the HBO series The Deuce, and I watched the second season of that. But they recreate you know seventies Forty um, Second Street in New York, and it's and it's interesting to see some of the marquees on these old grindhouse theaters, and you will see certain titles that came out in the mid to late 70s that, that are very familiar. And it's just, I, I love the whole aesthetic of the show. And just to add to that, um, so I like to study the uh, the satanic panic that happened back in the early 80s and everything yes. that, that uh, went through with it. You know, it's just like there's books out there. Granted, they've been proven wrong uh, by, you know, multiple sources there's books like uh michelle remembers or you know the 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 child molestation ritual case that happened in california which i can't think of right now they made a movie about it with uh james woods but is that the one where the kids were all supposedly kept in the basement or whatever yeah well yeah and then this one of the one of the because these kids were coerced coerced and they said they identified one of their abusers as uh, they showed they showed him a picture of Chuck Norris from an Evasion USA, and they said, uh, "Yeah, that's that was the, one of the guys that touched me." Yeah. So I mean, they were very uh, coerced, and but anyway, it uh, they also this also dives into uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. That was evil back then too. Oh yeah, and. Uh, I watched uh, part of Tom Hanks's uh, first movie. Oh my god! Ma- Mazes and monsters. Mazes and monsters. Yeah, 
And as I'm watching this, um, they, they show like this point of view uh, taxi ride through uh, New York because they're going to like I, this Grant University. I'm not entirely sure where that is, but it's besides the point. I, they drive past this marquee and I'm just like, I would have never left this theater for a goddamn week because I see this marquee. It's a double billing of creep show and Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, that'd have been awesome. But uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that I was I was watching these past two weeks. So, oh yeah, I I've studied a lot about the Satanic Panic in the from the '80s. I mean, being a horror fan growing up in the '80s, uh, we basically kind of lived it, you know. Oh yeah. Um, I used to. I still remember. I used to have. A, I used. To, I taped it off of television. An episode of the Seven Hundred Club, because they did an episode. <laughs> they did an episode about backmasking, and I thought it was the whole, most hilarious thing ever. So, I taped it off, and it's it's so stupid because oh, I forget the guy's name that hosted that show. Whatever that TV uh, TV evangelist guy's name is. Oh, but. Uh, Pat uh, Patterson. Pat, Pat, not Pat Patterson. That's a wrestler, but it's something Patterson. Yeah, um, he flat out yeah. even said during the show that backmasking is literally impossible to do. And I'm like, you're 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 calling bullshit on the on the on the thing that you're trying to convince us all that is real. Okay, that's that makes if, sense. If I may, there is a great book out there on, and it's actually called Satanic Panic. Pop culture paranoia in the 1980s, and it is by it's a collection of essays, and it's very, very informative. They talk about you know hoaxes. They talk about Michelle remembers, and I I highly recommend it because it's it's pretty eye opening about just about how damn crazy it was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything from music videos to games to uh, you know all this ritual abuse how i mean they were they were it was everything you know from a cult in he-man you know which yep. basically at the end of every episode they they basically told you how to be a better person he-man like never even actually harmed anybody but they still convinced he had something to do with the occult and he was evil and all this and that so yeah yeah Oh yeah, excellent. Is that all you watched, or did you watch anything else? That's, that is that is all I watched, and I just plugged a book, which you should all read because it's it's very good. <laughs> it's the segment what we read. <laughs> what about you, Ted? Well, <coughs> I barely watched anything outside of um, this episode. What you been but doing? I did watch, I did watch <laughs> something that I'm surprised no one else went and saw, which was Happy Death Day to you. I wanted to, but uh, I want to so bad. Apparently, no one else went either because it's bombing bad. No oh, shit! It's like doing. I, I didn't even see it listed like on uh, box oh, office no. mojo. It's not even in the top five. I don't even know where it's at. Damn it! So that was really surprised me. You know, the last one got such a good critical reception. People really loved it. I figured this one you know would be a shoe in people would go see it but we went on opening night at like an 8:45 showing in the LDX theater which are usually packed and we are the only people there no 
And I thought, well, maybe, you know, this town wasn't digging it, or maybe they had to move the date, or they, they decided to move the date back a day uh, due to some backlash for putting it on the uh, anniversary of the Parkland shootings. But I thought maybe that screwed something up, but after looking at the box office reports, uh, it just is not doing well. But it's strange, because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and different sites sort of ripping on it because it's not necessarily as much horror uh, as the first one. I absolutely love the movie. I thought it was a blast. It's cool. so fun. It's it's probably even more funny than the first, which I enjoyed. Uh, Sold it to Mike. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I mean, if you like the first one, this one oh, is yeah. absolutely... I can't believe people are are complaining at all complaining um they had to advance and and sort of put more of a science fiction twist on it but for people to be calling this a sci-fi movie is absolutely ridiculous they're just grasping at straws i don't know man i think just people like to hear themselves complain or something because this is a blast i was laughing out loud throughout the movie it's so good um very smart way to keep this franchise going i'm not going to mention any of the storylines because there's just no point you're got you guys are going to see it so i'll just let you see it but i do highly recommend it go see it go support it Uh, i'm hoping that we get a third movie but it doesn't look too good now but uh Mm. i thoroughly enjoyed it Uh, i went with adam and nikki they both enjoyed it we had a blast so go see it cool that's what i watched that's what we watched all right Good stuff, man. Dang it, I gotta see this, man. That and um, the what's the other horror movie that's in theaters right now? Uh, uh the Prodigy. Prodigy, thank you. Which I think we're gonna go see tomorrow if we're not snowed in. Cool. Okay, so now it's time to get into our main topic of this episode, and that is. Um, horror movies that were made by directors who normally aren't horror film directors never really made a horror movie before. So we've got our three films um, that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, let's see. Uh, Andy, why don't you start us off? What should be the first one we talk about this evening? Well, um, I would like to talk about Rob Reiner's 1990 Misery. He almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Well, everybody sure likes those misery books. They had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? 
Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery Spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he's dead, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. know you've been out is this what you're looking for eventually you'll come to accept the idea of being here Annie whatever you think I'm not doing please don't do it Annie for God's shh darling trust me God's sake it's for the best God I love you sweet Starting off, starting off strong. Starting off strong. Can yes. only go downhill uh, from here. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, you've got a screenplay by William Goldman, who, I mean, his reputation speaks for itself. Uh, uh, Princess Bride, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, basically. Uh, Shane Black ripped off his style. So, I mean, mm. great, great start. Uh, uh, James Caan. Kathy Bates, uh, uh, relatively small cast, but you've got a, a damn good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Marcia Sindel, you've got Lauren McCall, uh, who was in a lot of those, uh, she was a femme fatale in a lot of those film noir movies, uh, and she was uh, Humphrey Bogart's wife. Uh, Frances Sternhagen, am I saying that right? Uh, sure. She played. She plays Richard Farnsworth's wife, and Richard Farnsworth uh, plays Buster, the sheriff, and my favorite uh, character in this movie. Yeah, yeah, just uh, just kind of a just he's got a very you know very good wit, and uh, I'm a big uh, uh, I'm a big Highway to Hell fan, and I liked him in that. Did you guys ever see that? Yep. Oh yeah. And who? Where is he at? Where is he in that? Uh, he's the old guy that owns the uh, the service station before uh, that, that that leads to the highway. He's the the, the original guy that lost his sweetheart. Uh, the the hell cop took her. Oh man, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I I barely remember it. All I can remember is Gilbert Gottfried playing Hitler, and all and the entire um, Ben Stiller family working in the yes. diner. Yeah. And C.J. Graham is Hell Cop. Is Hell Cop, yeah. Uh, But uh, this is uh, based off of a Stephen King novel. And uh, basically, uh, James Caan, Caan, Paul Sheldon, is a best-selling author. And he crashes his car in a snowstorm after finishing his late book. uh, Sorry, excuse me, his latest book. At his uh, Colorado getaway called uh, the Silver Lake or Silver something like that. Uh, during the snowstorm, he's rescued by his number one fan, Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, who is just awesome in this. So good. And uh, she takes him to her remote cabin and without informing anyone or the authorities, uh, Unfortunately, Annie is batshit crazy. 
and af- while she's taking care of, care of him, uh, she's you know, she's at first she's just kind of really sweet as pie, even though she's lying through her teeth to him. But after she after she finds out that he has killed off her favorite character, Misery Chastain, in these sort of, uh, I guess, old-timey romance novels that made him popular, uh, she just completely loses her shit. And she demands uh, that uh, he resurrect uh, Misery Chastain in a novel just for her now-captive Paul has to write for his life and she has not informed the authorities she has not informed his agent she's this man has a daughter and he's he's incapacitated he's got you know broken legs broken arms dislocated shoulder i mean he's not he's not going anywhere um it basically uh have she hold, she holds him captive and he tries uh, to get out of the room, you know, he makes a makeshift uh, a makeshift um, key for where, where he's locked in. I mean, he tries a variety of ways to just get away from this woman that is literally terrorizing him. Uh, he tries to knock her out uh, with some of the painkillers that he's been stashing away and tries to put it in her wine with this meal that they have. And that just goes awry. Um, all, all the terrible stuff that she does to him, she doesn't like his, his latest novel, which is kind of like, uh, it's more of a, it's a more modern day, uh, urban dramatic piece from what I can tell. And it has swear Uh, words in it. Yes. And she, she doesn't like the swearing and she, she makes them burn his book, his only copy of this manuscript that he worked so hard on. And the thing is he's, 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 he was more proud of this work than he was his previous novels. Cause he just, he's got so tired about writing about this character that he didn't even like. He was just doing it for a paycheck. He, he wanted to be respected for something that he actually wrote and that he actually enjoyed doing. And she, forces him to burn it which is just you know from a writer's point of view that's just awful um all this time buster and his wife uh who uh, richard farnworth is he's the sheriff he's he's looking for him and he's studying his books and uh eventually he sees a quote in one of Paul Sheldon's books, I mean, because it's been a while since I've seen this, and I was wondering, like, how the hell is he going to find, uh, you know, this Paul Sheldon at her house? And what it what it was is that he's uh, studying. He came upon Annie Wilkes, uh, you know, just acting, you know, weird out in the town, and. It, during her trial, because people know her history, she was quoted as saying the exact same thing in one of her books, you know, in her defense, because she was put on trial for, you know, a series of misdeeds while she was an, uh, a nurse. Uh, it's speculated that she killed her husband, and it's speculated that she killed, you know, dozens of children in this maternity ward. So he goes there, and that's probably one of the uh, most heartbreaking 
yeah. parts of the movie because I mean she just hits him with both barrels from behind and you see his chest explode you're just like oh man yeah I know I'm man Tony he's my favorite character in this movie and I knew it was you know I've seen this movie several times and I knew it was coming I'm just like that like please let this be the one time the movie magically yeah. changes <laughs> and he and it's brutal it's a that's yeah. a big shot uh eventually i mean he basically the only weapon that this paul sheldon character has is this woman's love for his work and he has to use that to his advantage because nothing else is going to get him out of this situation and he eventually burns this book that he has been writing for her this whole time you know that's what she wanted that's the that's the only thing that you know gave her purpose in life, and eventually he drops the uh, he he clocks her upside the head with a typewriter, this real heavy typewriter that she had gotten for him. And I loved the the end fight between these two because he's shoving you know paper down her throat and. Uh, the the end fight is very reminiscent of the the trip and head crushing thing uh, on the tombstone in uh, Night of the Living Dead because the way she trips she lands the same way on that typewriter yeah. as as Johnny does in Night of the Living Dead I was just like oh dude that's Night of the Living Dead <laughs> um, a lot of people um, remember from this film if they've seen it is the hobbling scene. It's all about that. Where she she basically takes a, I'd say around maybe two foot four by four board and places it in between his ankles that are just, his legs have just actually already healed. He's almost good to go. And she finds out that he's been trying to escape. And she places this four by four in between his ankles and she basically breaks both his ankles with a sledgehammer because his ankles are, you know, wedged in there. They've got no place else to go. Brutal, Um, man. Brutal scene. That foot wraps around the front of the freaking board. It's absolutely. I could have sworn though, watching this again uh, here lately after not seeing it for a while, I could have sworn when I saw this in the theater because I saw this in the theater. I could have sworn there was a close-up shot of that of that shot. When I was I could have sworn when there I was, was. Watching this time I'm like mm-hmm. I because it's been a while for me since I've seen it. I wondered as I'm watching I'm like is this going to be like the chainsaw hook thing where we think we remember this and See, that and that's and this? what I'm thinking. So I was so excited to watch and be like what's going to happen versus what my brain remembers happening and it <laughs> and it wasn't as I mean it was still fucking brutal, but in my brain but, it was closer up. Yeah, I exactly. saw both of them happen. You know, like it was so much worse in my memory. Yeah, you only see one, <laughs> and then it's in a wider shot, and it's not even like the center of the frame. Yeah, it's more of like his POV almost. And yeah, her swingy wind up for the second one's badass. And, but yeah, like, and I always said because in the book she chops his feet off. Whoa! Yeah. And I always and then, said that this is probably more brutal because we can relate to this a bit bit better than what it would be like to have our feet chopped off. And I think that's what makes it seem uh, all the more realistic and painful to us. Um, but at the I same... Read the, I'm sorry. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I read the the book as, book as well, and I was going to touch on that, but she does cauterize uh, his uh, ankles with a, butane, with a butane torch and cauterizes the wound shut while but, he's on the bed. With this, but with this last viewing, I still, I still stand by my, I think the sledgehammer um, comes off as more brutal. Yeah. But watching it this time around and at the end of the movie where... For the most part, he's physically okay. He's walking with a cane now, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit yeah. slower on the go. But for the <laughs> most part, he's physically okay. Where I think, like, I mean, I like those movies that, you know, when your character's going down this this dark path, this downward spiral in this horror element, and um, and we see them survive it, you know. And I love those movies that, like, really makes me question... Did they really survive? Like right. not just mm-hmm. emotionally, but it, but to also see it physically. So at the at the same point, I think it would also be just as equally just as brutal for the end of the film. For this guy, he's physically scarred for life. He's got no he's feet. He's not going to be the same. Oh, yeah. So to see yeah. him, so to see him kind of just waddling <laughs> around with a cane at the end, I'm just like, eh, oh, I don't know. And didn't she also cut off some of his fingers in the book too? In the book, yeah, she makes, uh, she, yeah, she like would nip off a couple of his fingers at the knuckle from Jesus. to make it like progressively harder for him to write. And at the end fight, you know, where he thinks he's got her beat in the book, he's, um, um, since you know nobody came, since the the sheriff didn't come back, eventually, um, the other, you know deputies came by at, to look for the buster character and they find they find paul sheldon you know on the floor in the bedroom because i mean he's completely spent you know i mean he's he still has you know he's still very very weak so he passes out and then when they wake him up he he sees that annie wilkes is not in the room with him because he thought he blood he thought he caved her skull he skull in enough you know to keep her down but in the in the book it winds up they found her out in the barn where eventually she she died with her hands on a chainsaw she she was coming back with a freaking chainsaw to carve his ass up because she you know because she thought he was just that out and down she was just gonna literally just carve him up alive on the fucking bedroom floor (laughs) But eventually, just her body, she she died because he did crack her skull. So she was kind of like wandering around, like aimlessly, like you know, because like the footprints in the snow would just like tie off. So she was like kind of zigzagging her way to like the barn, and eventually she just she died with her hands, you know, on this chainsaw because she tried to pick it up and then she just keeled over and eventually died. But she had every intention of going back in there with you know, to just go full Leatherface on him. Well, and according to IMDb trivia, it talks about how Stephen King's original concept for the ending of this book, of the book, was that that she was going to chop him up and feed him to the pig, and oh, misery, and and remove his skin and use his skin as as the book binding for the book. Mm. Oh my god, that'd be wow. cool. <laughs> no. When when now that I watch when I watched this the other night, I was thinking to myself, I don't. I mean, I I really like this one. This is probably in my top 
Stephen King adaptations Definitely. of all time. Uh, first of all, Kathy Bates's performance can never be duplicated. That thousand mile stare that she gets, where you know the engine's running, but there's somebody completely different behind the wheel. It's just, it's. She awesome. is so amazing in this. Um, but I think if they re if they re redid this or remade this, I know you hate that word, Mike. <laughs> um, but if they did it, if they included it with the axe and made it grittier and made it more true to the book, I would be right there for it. I'm sure. I'm I'm okay with both. If they did two two different versions, one like really gritty and just hardcore to the book. Um, I would be, I'd be right there. I, I would love to see it. I mean, if you can remake your it's, you can remake your pet cemeteries, try it with misery. And I think it would, it would stand up. Yeah. Well, she, she takes that typewriter to the head, like a champ, man. <laughs> oh yeah. In <laughs> the, the movie, like I forgot that, like, you know, I was like, Oh, well you got her right on the head and she's right up. Like it's nothing. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, she's 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 a heavyweight man. She can take those heavy hits, man. I think. I mean, I agree a hundred percent on Kathy Bates' performance. I mean, hell, she got she got the Oscar that year for best supporting actress yeah. for a which, horror film. Yeah, woohoo, horror film again, recognized by the Academy. Yay. Even though they called it a fucking thriller, but regardless, <laughs> she was awesome. She was awesome, and for me. The scene with her that clinches it for me in her performance is that scene when it's raining and she's all depressed and she pulls that gun out of her fucking pocket and she's like, I got this gun. Just all monotone. I was thinking about using it and I'm just like, oh my God. Oh my God. So uh, that's a really emotional and intense scene. Yeah. I better leave now. You know, <laughs> just the way that she says stuff, you know, it's just like if I was wow. James Conn, I'd be shitting my pants right at that moment. Yeah, the I mean, the poor guy has got to be on like he's like on eggshells for what he may say. I mean, it's just like he never knows when he's going to get abused. He's never know. He just has no clue what's going to set her off, mm-hmm. you know. But he, but he still has to communicate with her, which just it's the whole movie is just tense. It's which which would makes it it's another thing that just makes it great. Oh, the the whole the the whole scene when he first gets out of the room with his hair with the uh, with, with the, the lock, bobby pin the bobby thank you the bobby pin lockpick thing, and he's going around the house and the whole time I'm like, you're gonna have to get back your ass that back in that room, man. You're not going to make it out by the time she gets back. And then when she starts coming back and he's like, uh, you know, all the way in the kitchen or yeah. whatever, and he's rushing back in there. It is such an intense moment. So good. So well executed. I mean, and she's got some, she's got some, like some great one liners in there. Like, uh, <laughs> and I hate to say this, but like, what's the ceiling that that Dago painted? <laughs> <laughs> and she says it. She says it so deadpan. It's just like you know. She doesn't say it. Like, she doesn't say it to be mean. It's just that's just how the way she talks. I'm just like, oh my god. You know, and there's a there's a you know, 
some little signature Rob Reiner comedic moments there too, where uh, you know another great scene when she's outside and he's staring at her through the window and she waves at him and he just flips her off. Oh yeah, so funny, so funny. Jason, what do you think? I just uh. I was I found myself just enamored with Kathy Bates. Just uh, her performance was so amazing. I love I love when she just lets out those moments of crazy, but not to her like the the, the playful her snorting like the pig. I just love yeah. it, you know. Oh, those moments when she's like almost like a kid, small yeah. small school girl when she's gushing about the return of misery and all that and yep. It's like, oh, don't tell me. No, wait, don't tell me. Yeah. No, don't, don't, don't tell me. The, the innocence in that makes that character so great. And she just was so awesome at it. And... Oh, man. I mean, and she absolutely goes off about an old serial that she saw when she was probably like nine or ten. Yeah. You know, oh, that was a good that was a good dialogue there. That was a good speech. He didn't get out of the cock-a-duty car. You know, it's just oh. like all her yeah. non curses were so <clears throat> funny and Yeah. And of course she calls him a cocksucker at the end of the right. movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh shit's gonna be off. But yeah. Well to me, like yeah. when she finally does crack and call him like a cocksucker, it's uh sort of shows like over the course of the movie she gets more and more crazy and more out of control and spiraling more and more, you know, to the point where she it's like it's funny, but it's like you know she'll finally say something like that. And that's like morally, it's like oh she cracked, you know, even though she's fucking hobbled them and they've had you know they're back and forth and she's been a lunatic the whole movie. It's like yeah, yeah. sort of shows that in her head it's like she's cracked. Yeah, and and yeah the 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 sheriff and his wife are so great together. Uh, both yeah, their rapport together. So f- when she puts yeah. his, you know, her, her hand on his <laughs> knee and she's like, <laughs> in this, and he's like, in this car, I'm the sheriff and you're the deputy. <laughs> it makes uh, me think of uh, like, sort of like Fargo, you know, like Coen Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I love characters like that. I love characters that, you know, these like small town hicks that, Everybody just writes off as some dumb bumpkin, but it's probably the smartest one in the whole movie. And it's so, like you said earlier, man, like, that's what makes it such a bummer at the end when mm-hmm. you're like, oh, he fi- he's figured it out. He knows that he's going to go and rescue him, even though he's seen it before and you know it's not going to happen. It still hurts just as much when she comes up behind and blasts him with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what makes it sting all the more. Not just because he's such a lovable character, but because like, again, he's the smartest character of the whole movie. the 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 state the state um, the state police were ready to just write him off as dead in the snow somewhere, but he he still just had that you know that clever intuition of like there's something more going on here, and he's the one that figured out like. Some somebody pried open the car door. None of the other yeah. police on the scene, none of the big city cops figured that shit out, but he did. You know, so yeah, it's just like it's it's so it's so deflating when he gets it in the end. Yeah, it's see, yeah, it's so unfair. It's just yeah. 
I guess it's a great payoff, you know, for like a dark night of the soul kind of moment. You're just like, oh my god, he's saved, and then it's just like, oh, you're you, you feel like you just got your feet taken out from underneath you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what what other you know? I know that the character's name in his book is Misery, but I mean, what? I mean, I don't think there's any possible name other name you could ever put on this movie <laughs> except except misery i mean it's yeah. like there's yeah there's there's no other name you could you know put on this film yeah for sure you know and, and going to the director now yep. like rob reiner did a great job with this, and and again, according to IMDb, he like studied Hitchcock a lot to ch- ch- try to really get the thriller moments oh. correct. Um, you know, and and you could feel that there's a lot of Hitchcockian suspenseful moments throughout laced throughout this movie. So he did a great job, and and I've always really admired um, Rob Reiner for like. For, well, for his diversity as as a filmmaker, but still being able to see that it's it's kind of it's got that it's got that Rob Reiner it's got that whole Reiner family charm to to his films. You know, Princess Bride, This is Spinal Tap, you know, When Harry Met Sally, all that shit. But that you know, but this isn't his only Stephen King film though either. He did uh, Stand by Me, mm-hmm. only that one's not a horror film. So. <laughs> And it's Rob Reiner was the guy who started the castle, the whole Castle Rock Pictures company in the first place. So, you know, uh, but Stephen King is 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 you know really latched on with certain filmmakers for the right reasons, like Darabont and Rob Reiner, you know, mm. George Romero. The smart that's the smartest relationship you ever built. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Anything else anybody wanted to add on about Misery? It's just a damn good movie. Yeah. For a shizzle. Did Tad like it? Did he say much? Oh, yeah. I liked it. How could you not, right? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm glad we had this one on the list. Yep. <laughs> the other so. two. A little tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Tad, what should be the next one we talk about? I'm going to talk about one that I feel like you guys are sort of already throwing some shade at because I don't feel like, I don't know. I don't know if this is the one you're going for, but I'm going to go for the shortcut. Hi. Hello. What's up with Christy Doyle? Is she dating anybody or what? I don't know, man. It's not like we hang out or anything. Hey, Derek. I can get one of those. Did you really come over here for a Twizzler? No, I did not. If you're gonna fool around with Christy Doyle, I want her friends. Hello. Hey, what are you doing here? Trying to get french fries. Of course. Do you know that guy? I don't know. Everyone knows about the crazy old man on the shortcut. Some kids went missing from the old high school. They were last seen taking the shortcut. Nobody knows what happened to this day. What do you say we do a little investigation of our own? Well, this is like breaking in. It's not breaking in. It's sneaking in. This place is just as freaky as I thought it would be. Hello? 
You like blood, boy? What's going on? We gotta call 911. I'm going to go for this one, not only because of that, but because it was one I sort of suggested after finding out that, um, that, what's his, Adam Sandler's, Uh well, I was going to say Adam Sandler's production company, Happy Madison, went into horror for just one, one horror movie in what was it called, Scary Madison? Scary Madison, yeah. Scary Madison, yeah. Which, you know, cool concept, like, you know, if a guy with the i don't know not reputation but the financing behind him the ability to um fund horror movies like adam sandler can get behind something like horror if he can if he can fund some horror movies you know i'm all about it and it's sort of a bummer that this was just a one-off sort of a flop and he moved on i'm not a huge adam sandler fan um i wouldn't say i'm a hater but i poke fun at his career in general but his production company puts out a lot of great horror or a lot of great uh comedy movies yeah not necessarily ones that he's in but <laughs> you know but like i said it's sort of a cool concept that he decided to produce this thing and uh nicholas goosen directed it mm-hmm. it's a pretty pretty simple little horror movie where there's a it's in a small town set in a high school Dave Franco and his friends, they have a small group of friends. Um, they go to this high school, and it's very typical teenagers in, in high school, you know, crushing on each other. But uh, little brother, there's a new kid in town, and little brother is dared to walk through the shortcut, finds a dead dog. Kids go play Hardy Boys and investigate the creepy old man in the woods who uh, they suspect is is killing dogs because the jock in the school is missing his dog. They think that maybe this old man is, is back there just killing dogs. And they get too deep into this mystery. They're starting to put their nose where it doesn't belong. And I'm skipping over a whole bunch because the story's pretty simple. But turns out this uh old guy in the woods is a little more serious than a dog killer he has a man chained in his basement and we learn towards the end of the movie well do i spoil this or do we let it uh no we let we warned everybody to spoilers so well it turns out that this uh guy chained up in the basement is the old man's brother correct yes I just want to make sure I had that correct. Uh, The younger brother. Yeah, we get a flashback in the... William B. Davis. get a flashback in the movie where we sort of see them as kids and that, you know, he sort of took a vow to take care of his brother who was chained up as a kid, too. And there's sort of another twist at the end where, you know, you think that the final girl and the main character are getting away and... Boom, the little brother kills her, and we find out, you know, that there's more to it there, too. 
I'm guess I'm just now looking at the IMDb page. This is PG thirteen. I didn't really. I, I tried to not read anything into this movie before I watched it, and I will say, I enjoyed this movie. I'm going to defend it because okay to to me when something like this is, you know, I I if I could, I would eat you know, the a high end restaurant every night and enjoy really good food. But sometimes <laughs> I just want sometimes I just want so like ramen, a McDonald's right? oh. Yeah, like a McDonald's hamburger and salty ass <laughs> fries and, <laughs> and a huge a huge Coke that's you know, super sweet like a I mean I get like a specific taste for like a, a fountain coke, you know, that's like super sugary. This go. is this is that man. Like <laughs> This is the kind of movie that. This is the kind of movie that give you diabetes. Is that? No, this is the kind of. Well, I'm saying this is the kind of movie that I I fall asleep on the couch watching some a movie I really like, and I wake up and it's 3 a.m. on a Saturday, and I don't want to go to sleep yet, so I flip on Stars or some some bad movie channel at 3 a.m. and this movie's halfway done, but I I turn to it. And I just sit and watch it, and for some reason I can stay awake through this, but not, you know, a movie, a, a great movie. And for some reason, this is like junk food to me, and I love it, man. Like, there's, hmm. I, there's something about like this kind of movie. It's just there's no one really. I mean, it's not well made, it's not well done, it's not well acted, it's not well written, but it's so it's easy to digest. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, it's just. Just like McDonald's. Just, yeah, it, well, it's, it, even even McDonald's yeah. gives you stomach ache, I guess. But um, <laughs> this, analogy's getting out of hand. Yeah, I don't know. Something, <laughs> something, something about this is just so simple for me. It's like I can just flip it on and I I turn off my brain. I don't have to overthink it. There's nothing. You're you can walk away for ten minutes, come back, and you you're not you're not missing anything. You know what I mean? Like I don't know something about this kind of movie so that's why i'm defending i guess it's not the best kind of defense is like why well, i'm defending because i like shit so uh <laughs> but, it has, well, so, but it has the thing some, is you know, i like uh, dave franco and i like katrina bowden in it and i don't know i thought it was okay from well, what i can gather you're basically you're kind of like describing like a more modern version of elvira's movie macabre you know that's why people, you know, it's like a midnight movie. It's something that, you know, you just you just watch it because it's 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 an acquired taste for some folks, but I mean, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Well, yeah, the way you described why you like this movie, you basically described about 75% of the movies that I like. I'm so much more of a McDonald's fan than a fine steak kind of guy. So, um, when it comes to films, nah, McDonald's is gross. But uh <clears throat> Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think maybe I just went in with, uh, maybe a little too high expectations. Um, like, first of all, the, this Nicholas Goosen, yeah, this movie is not shot very well. It's not directed very well. The acting is, is not very good. And I hate, I've gotten to the point now where I hate commenting on acting. I ref, I kind of refuse to do it. But my point is is like this is his second film. It's not like this was his first venture into directing. This is his second film after making 
such a great comedy in Grandma's Boy. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Grandma's Boy is a masterpiece. Like, Grandma's Boy is a movie that interjects a plot within the last 10 minutes of the movie, you know? Um, so it's got its own issues, but it is leaps and bounds above above this movie. And is it budgetary? I'm assuming. Because this movie, yeah. to me, plays like something I would see at some independent film festival that... You know that we would have movie that we would have a movie in. There's like some scenes with like god awful ADR in it. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies in things like the lighting and whatnot. Um, you know, just a lot of a lot of amateur amateurish mistakes that happen in in this movie. And again, maybe it's budgetary. I would hope so because this guy had previously made a well polished looking movie before in Grandma's Boy. So I so that's where maybe I'm maybe I'm going in a little too harsh on the film, um, you know, because I just was kind of shocked that uh, that this happened, <laughs> I guess you could say. But uh, that and like I don't know, there's a part of me that was still kind of hoping for just that little bit of like I don't know, Happy Madison touch to it. And I'm not saying comedy per se. I don't know how to describe it, but I know I can sit down and and I'm. I'm an Adam Sandler fan. Now I know he's he's definitely made some crap, and um, a lot of and there's a lot of his films that if you look at it from a filmmaking standpoint, it, you know you would get an F in film school um, if this was your thesis film, you know. Um, but I still like the majority of his films. They still make me laugh. I still like him. I will watch, you know, <clears throat> um, Little Nicky all day long. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, Jack and Jill is a little rough. I can't really get through that one too well. But uh, but and, but I love all these Happy Madison productions. I love the Paul Blart movies. To me, those are fun. But there is something about them, and it doesn't matter who's starring in it, if it's Kevin James or it's Adam Sandler or if it's Rob Schneider, um, and it doesn't matter who's directing it, there is still something, something familiar that is happening in all of these movies. And I was kind of hoping for that as well, that I would still feel like maybe I'm in the Happy Madison universe a little bit. And I didn't really get that at all either. So so I, I would say my disliking of this film is probably on me and and um, going in with, uh, with a different expectation. I mean, there was some things that I did like. I was happy to see... Um, <clears throat> um, I'm blanking on her. Uh, yeah, Katrina Bowman. Because uh, I loved her in Tucker and Dale versus Evil, um, William Davis. It was cool to see him, the old cigarette man from um, X Files. Um, I will say I'm not a fan really of um, Dave Franco. I could do without him, you know. And he really got on my nerves in this movie in particular. But uh, his little crushed up hand effect looked pretty cool. That yeah. was neat. That's, yeah, that finger was just all oh, yeah. fucked up. I, I liked, I liked, I mean, you know, I, I saw the twist coming a mile away when it was like the brother in the basement, but I, but I don't, I, I, when I figure out the twist ahead of time, that doesn't mean shit, it doesn't mean anything to the film, and nine times out of ten, if I do figure it out, I'm like, oh, that's awesome, because this was where I wanted it to go, so, yeah, so, um, I, I was happy with how the story went in that direction. Um, I thought it was cool with the whole chain thing and just how like it's like absurd miles, long. yes, miles and miles of chain. <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, 
Yeah, uh, and like throughout the whole movie, we're constantly constantly seeing flashbacks to like the the fifties and the sixties and stuff as as these these two brothers are growing up and how the younger brother has obviously got some disturbing violent tendencies and then how that parallels with the uh, little brother in the modern day, which leads into how the movie ends. So, um, so yeah, I guess I, I don't know how I feel about it. My initial knee-jerk reaction was like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Tad can't make... Pot, uh, McDonald's analogies without me second guessing. Well, just because you get hungry so easy. Yeah, yeah. I I think maybe I just I just went into it um, with a different outlook. I thought, you know, I don't. I wasn't expecting like literally anything. I I figured this was straight to video, uh, something that you would see on family video for a dollar fifty to buy, uh, something that was long forgotten, you know. And I was surprised that he did grandma's boy but it's not like you watch grandma's boy and go you know man that was a great directed film necessarily you just it's it's hilarious but it's due to the writing and the cast not so much the direction but uh but on a but and i agree with you 100 percent. but on a production level too and again it's probably budgetary but on a production level like grandma's boy is leaps and bounds with what this movie with this, with yeah. this movie was, and yes, I totally agree. What makes Grandma Boy great is the casting, you know. I mean, that's when I first fell in love with with uh, Nick Schwartzen was Grandma's it's Boy. It's comedy. It's easier <laughs> to digest in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that too, and that too, but just you know, just the overall production of it is way more it's solid different. than this was. So, well, he's only written this, and the, the writer um, Dan. Hannon has only written two things, and this is the only feature he's written, if that tells you anything. Mm. And then Scott Sandler was the other writer. He's only written one thing. So both of them were first-time writers. And I don't know if this is uh, any relation. I I assume it has to be related to Adam if it's Scott Sandler for (laughs) Happy Madison. That's what I'm wondering. Maybe it was like, you know, I'm going to try to... Adam Sandler's like, oh, I want to experiment and making some horror movies. <laughs> More impressions, I love it. He gave his brother like a couple <laughs> grand, and you know, and oh, I throw Dave Franco in there, and uh, they got <laughs> this movie, you know. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, one of these episodes, we just got to do the whole episode in per- in impressions, man. Just pick a character and uh, just stick with it. Yep. I I gotta say the the saving grace for this movie. I mean, I I sometimes I'm I'm kind of like Tad in this respect. I'm just like if it's even if it's poorly shot, but as long as it keeps me entertained, I I can I can live with that. Um. By the way, this movie, the shortcut is it's. Citizen Kane compared to Clowntergeist, so I mean, it's, <laughs> it's got that. Uh, but the saving graces um, are Will Davis and Ray Barry for me because I've I, I've I've always been an X Files fan, and then like you said, the cigarette smoking man, and Ray Barry. Uh, you may recognize him from in, from other roles, but I always remembered him as the cranky sheriff in uh, the Ref. 
with Dennis Leary, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um yeah, there's it's it seemed like uh the one problem I had was with the Katrina Bolden character, it's Christy. I mean, it's just like it just seemed like she was just cattle. You know, and I, I know in a horror movie sometimes characters are like that, but I mean, even more so with her, I thought it was just like she is here to be set up to be killed. Oh, I agree, me. and like, not that I would expect anything more from like, you know, I mean, this is obviously in the slasher territory, so not that I expect anything for more from a slasher film, but I was a little disappointed in her overall performance just because I felt like she was so solid in Tucker and Dale, like yeah. she is so good in that, so. Yeah, she I mean, got it's better just as like, an actress. All right, what's that? She got better as an actress. Good deal. Yeah, well, it's you know. not that she was bad in this. I just, I, I blame the character more than the performance. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it might as well, have, you know. To me, in these in these kind of films, it's just like you have to have if you you need. It just made the kill less effective to me. It's it's. She might as well have just been walking around with a sign that just said "Kill me," because I mean, it just there wasn't much. Uh, how do I? I don't know how to put it. It's just it just seemed like she was only tagging along to be there so she could get killed later. It's uh, all in all. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen worse films. I mean, I. <laughs> I've seen much, you know, much, you know, better films, you know, that have basically, you know, the same kind of story. But uh, eh, there's stuff that I liked and did. But, you know, like I said, uh, I don't try to completely shit on a movie. But, yeah, this this could have, you know, I'm I'm with. Mike, in that respect, that it could have been, you know, better if it had, uh, you know, in terms of production, and maybe if the story was flushed out a little bit, maybe, maybe just eliminate some characters. I mean, because I don't even think Katrina, you know, not that I'm shitting on her, I just like I don't even think the Christie character even needed to be there. But yeah. that's just my opinion. Well, the I felt first off, I think uh, I also sort of fall for this movie because i am a sucker for like teen comedies of that era i am a huge sucker for those but i don't know it's uh i do think that you know they they have this thing like you said she doesn't really have a point and i thought that some of the stuff was sort of confusing in the relationships because and they they sort of play on that but when you first get the new kids talking to this girl and then Franco comes up from behind and you know gives her a hug and like they're dating and you're like oh he's like the boyfriend yeah. that's in the way but then those two are like best friends and it's never there's never tension between them and it was like I don't know it's weird because usually in these kind of movies when a girl and a guy are just friends and one has feelings and the other doesn't I don't know it was like they had this sort of underlying love thing going on that they never once touched on after that you know that I, there was the part where you know katrina bowden's character sitting in the car and they're they're on the lookout for the old creepy guy and he's trying to call them to tell them that he's coming and she's like 
you know, oh, you can't get a hold of your girlfriend. Like, she's jealous after hanging out with this guy for, like, an hour. Like, oh, you can't get a hold of your girlfriend. She's, clearly she likes you. And it's like, why do we even have this little sub-story going? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was really quite bad in that aspect. But, like I said, something about it, man. It's like a bag of greasy potato chips or something. It's just so uh, s- stupid and satisfying. Oh, and then the opening scene... I'm confused by that, too, because why did we need the almost rape in that? So you felt like he got what he deserved? I don't know. But he, but he didn't get killed, did he? She did. I think he, yeah, I think she oh, okay. I, he eventually ran off. Yeah, he he took off, and she's there on the ground, like, all freaking out. And then the boy comes up and kills her with a slingshot. And I'm like, why okay, did we have yeah. that almost rape scene? That was a really weird... Yeah, in general opening, because it was like, oh, we're getting a slingshot kill. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I I also found it a little bit odd that uh, Christy has this boyfriend that, you know, is Mr. Jock King shit, you know, and he's alluded to more than once in this movie, and we, we never see him. I feel like that's like a missed opportunity. If you're going to talk about somebody, can we at least see who he is? Can we just see him being a dick or just have this have this guy killed? You know, we're in a horror movie. I mean, just, but. <laughs> I'm, surpri- I'm surprised they didn't get, like, Taylor Lautner because he's, like, new. And he, he, well, he's sort of that, like, you know, younger him and Andy, uh, Andy Samberg are like the two new young guys that have been thrown into the Happy Madison verse. You know, like he has his stable of people he uses in everything, and like every once in a while he brings in an actor or two. And a- Andy Samberg and Taylor Lautner are like the two young guys that have been thrown into uh, that universe. Yeah, yeah, that's my boy. I even like that movie. <laughs> well, oh, I, that one was fucking hilarious! But uh, oh, good. What's the ones uh, grown ups like? Yeah, you know, you know what? Those are bad. But once again, you know what, man? Like, if those are on at two a.m. on yeah. Stars, yeah. which yeah. I, I think I've watched Grown Ups too like twelve times because it's been on at two a.m. on Stars. So yeah. basically, filmmakers, if you're listening, get your movie <laughs> two a.m. on Stars, and I am your big fan. Like, you know, I am. I'm gonna be watching your shit. Yeah, I, I'm that way too. I, like the grown-up movies are bad, but I'll still watch them over and over and over again. I I, I don't know. I think it's just because I like all those guys, you know. Yeah. Maybe that has a lot to do with it. But I understand the movies nothing more than Am Sandler wants to take a vacation, bring all his friends with him, and we're gonna write it off as a movie. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I I will say that uh, the biggest you know you know peak on the bullshit meter in this in this movie i got to say is derek is <clears throat> sitting in the car with christy and christy says oh i broke up with matt and he just goes oh i'm so sorry and i'm just like what you don't give a shit about it. You're ecstatic that she broke up with this guy. You've been trying to get in her pants the whole fucking movie, and you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck you. Well, that, yeah, that, that to me is like part of the whole weird love, uh, not triangle, but just like this weird thing going in the movie because there's a point where they're, they're at work at this hot dog place or whatever it is, and uh, 
they're talking. He's like, you know, what's her story? The new kid. I don't, I don't know any character names, but he's like, you know, what's her story? And Franco is like, you know, well, if you're going to hook up with her, like hook me up with a friend or whatever. And I thought for some reason I was thinking Franco was with like the, the smart girl that's friends with their group. I don't know. Did I miss something there? Uh, the, the, the brunette that's, you know, for, we first introduced in the very beginning of the movie. Like, I feel oh. like the op- opening uh, scene where they're walking oh. together, like, Franco comes up from behind and grabs her and, like, yeah. kisses her or something. Oh, Le- Lisa? Maybe. Yeah, but Shannon Woodward, I believe, is her name. Which, once again, like, that's the sort of, like, the smart girl in the group is looked over for the hot chick who's, you know, Katrina Bowden, and it's, like, it's always so weird in these movies because even, like, the smart chick is still very attractive. <laughs> you know, it's like most of these guys would be lucky to even like be friends with her but she's considered the smart one in the group like the she's the girl with all guy friends you know that kind of thing but yeah yeah i i was just gonna say quick my <coughs> I, I guess i feel uh, on the uh, team mike on this one i i considered shitting on it but since tad liked it i'll just uh <laughs> No, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, my only, I just, my one word for this movie was g- generic. It just, uh, mm. I didn't. It was just clunky and. See, and that's my thing. Uh, you can give me shitty production value, but you also got to give me something to make up for that. Yeah, yeah, I the, agree. The hand effect was neat, and whether it was ex- what, whatever it was, the chain thing was still something unique. Yeah, um, those are the things I liked, and it but, took like an hour to get to that. Over an yeah. hour to get to that. So, so I don't know. It was it was tough. Yeah, still not the still not the <clears throat> one that I thought was going to be the rag on one of the three. <laughs> if you want a segue? It's, I mean, yeah. Just I just think that the. The chain that could anchor the Titanic was a little too much. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it had that much r- slack or that much length, he could have gotten somewhere with some tool yeah. by that he point. He still could, right? I mean, if they're tr- if they're trying to chain him to keep him out of the shortcut, why would they give him a chain long enough to get to the shortcut? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, so Jason, trying to segue here to our final film. Um, so, Jason, what is our final? Well, film? I want you to describe it. Oh, God. That's it. That's the <laughs> I'm the host of this show. I don't have to do any work. Uh, well, the, the last movie we're going to talk about is Tony Scott's The Hunger. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her. For she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting, and soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? Forever and ever. Life signs terminate right here. Quiet, 
timeless beauty of Catherine Deneuve, the cruel elegance of David Bowie, the open sensuality of Susan Sarandon, combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. Haunting, mysterious, sensual, strange, perverse, riveting. The hunger. Yeah, I just want to say, guys, I there's there's times where I may purposely throw may like almost every time <laughs> a turd into the just to fuck with you guys, but uh, this one I'm Clump, sin- clump I, guys. I, this one I sincerely apologize for. Uh, you taste don't, your own medicine. Don't, don't apologize for this, man. We got Uh-oh. like an hour and a half long music video with David Bowie and Susan Sarandon's tits. Like I'm okay with it. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's obviously the highlight. There is uh, yep. the Susan Sarandon's of it. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it it was worth almost two hour wait by the time we got to those boobs, but yeah. All right, so the hunger, you are gonna make me do it, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's a vampire movie. <laughs> um, I love triangle. Yeah. Vampires. It's this uh, Egyptian vampiress who her current lover dies. Which was David Bowie, so now she uh, now she's going after Susan Sarandon. That's it, right? Uh-oh. There's also a lot of blue in this movie. Apparently, Tony Scott's uh, favorite <laughs> favorite color. Shadowing like a son of a bitch, just shadows. I the mean, whole movie is cast in a shadow. It's a vampire movie, but I really think the movie's more about curtains. <laughs> <laughs> Because there was a lot of curtains flapping in the foreground of most of the shots in this movie. I I can understand why it has such, like, a goth following. Because you're, like, very depressed by the time, like, something, like, you know, good happens. Like, some blood in here and there and, like, a little bit of boobies. You know what? They open with Bauhaus uh, Bela Lugosi. It start. It kicks off with something good. So shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just drags though, man. It just goes it on. Does. It does. Yeah. You know, like by the time. I mean, I'm assuming that's the central part of the story, right? Her forming this relationship with Susan Sarandon and turning her into a vampire as well, right? Am I wrong? Am I missing? You know. You know three or four acts in the middle there that I slept through. Um, just kidding. Well, Bo- well, Bowie goes to her first. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and then she shows up there because she's so inquisitive about how his aging process is going. And then, so Bowie kind of sets up his own breakup in that sense, I guess. Because she's a scientist that's doing studies in, like, the aging process, right? Dealing with yeah, um, how, sleep deprivation how, and, and... And blood work, I believe. How, yeah. how, how sleep deprivation affects your blood work, which in turn 
uh, affects your aging. I, I think that's what I got from it. So yeah, yeah. So and I think that's like where David Bowie goes to her, but then she's intrigued because of the research she's doing, and then she ends up going to the house and then getting it on with the with the main vampire lady. But by that time that happens, though, you're talking like over an hour into the film. So for me, I'm like the central plot of the movie doesn't even start until like over an hour into the movie. Unless yeah, I'm really missing something. Well, at, around, at about an hour into the movie, Bowie looks like the toxic waste guy from RoboCop because <laughs> he's aged so much. Um, the, the one thing that really bummed me out is when Bowie kills the little girl while she's playing the violin. I was just like, ah, oh, dude, really? <laughs> really? I felt like when I was watching this, um, I'm glad to hear you guys thought it dragged and didn't love it because I was like, man, is this something important that I just don't uh, get? Like, yeah. do I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to pretend that this is like uh, an important art film. There was some cool stuff in it visually that I thought it was interesting, but story wise, yeah. it, it, it could have, it's like someone had a music video for a band and the band was like, oh, never mind. And then Tony Scott's like, well, let's just make it a feature length movie. I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head because it's got definitely has a lot of 80s music video tropes in it. You know, <clears throat> again, flowing curtains, um, uh, you know, birds flying around. Um, yeah, there's a shitload of pigeons in this movie. Those pigeons annoyed the piss out of me. Like the, the final, that final scene there where um, I guess Susan Sarandon's dead and all of her dead lovers you know come back and attack her i thought yeah. that was cool looking you know i thought the zombie makeups are really neat and yeah. um and when then she falls to the ground and they think she's dead um all the zombies crumble into dust that was well executed and looked amazing you know and it was overall a lot of creepy tone during that whole scene best scene of the movie i didn't completely follow exactly what was going on but it looked cool um except for the goddamn pigeons just like pigeons all up in everybody's business during that whole scene, and just all you hear is flapping and like oh, and I hated the score in this movie, like the the, the sound effects and the score, all of it, just like bleh. Didn't like the, it. The the throat stab mid kiss with uh, Sarandon and uh, the other gal that was pretty nasty. And oh it, yeah, and a lot it, of blood. It, it was awesome. Yeah, and it went and it went on for a lot longer than I thought it would. I was just like, "Oh wow," because yeah, I thought I figured they would have cut away from that. And by the way, the Ankh symbol is the Egyptian hieroglyphic symbol for life, and uh, you also see that a lot in uh, Logan's Run. Just a fun fun fact. It just the whole movie just felt extremely pretentious to me. There's just a, you know just a lot of just imagery for just, you know, being flashy and being... Uh. <laughs> I would say that that's... Uh, but that that is the good thing about it, though. Like, it's... it's <coughs> I like this movie because it... Uh, beca well, I'm not saying it's a good movie, and I don't know that I'd recommend this movie, but I like it because... The dude fucking took a chance artistically, you know, like it. No, 
You know, like, it's stylized, it's his choice, it's 100% uh, visually uh, out there for better or worse. Well, can I also put this thought out there, and maybe I'm way off base, and you guys will tell me that I am. Right. Um, But I don't even (laughs) feel like his visual style for this movie was very original. I got a major, major Blade Runner vibe through this whole movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which was made the year before by his own brother. Right. Yeah. No, no. I. Yes, but I feel like it's like the first movie someone made. Like, both these movies could be in the same universe. That's how the look was for me. Totally. I got a dark industrial gothic vibe from it like from the, from the beginning with just the way this st- way it starts in the club and and then it kind of moved to like you know they almost focused like on the art deco of like where the vampires lived and everything because it hardly you know it hardly moved away it was either there or the hospital yeah i just feel like someone had to make a 90 minute music video and he got called. It was his turn, and that's what he did, and that's what happened. And it exists in the world, and at least we have it. And now we know why we don't do that. <laughs> but well said, well said. I mean, but again, like when when she turned Susan Sarandon, that's when I started getting interested. Sure, because those moments when she's going through withdrawal and she's trying to call the doctor, yeah. and she just. She bas- basically just collapses back. She goes right back to the woman and basically collapses in her in her um, apartment. And she's all just sweaty and sickly looking, you know. It just and again that started making me think of Near Dark. And I guess really that's when I started finally getting caught up into the shit. But by then there was twenty minutes left, so I'm yeah. like now the movie's starting. I agree. Um, here's something interesting. Um, a little interesting. Uh, trivia for you so this movie stars susan sarandon and is it her husband boyfriend i'm not even sure the relationship um co-worker but they live together yeah um the guy named tom that's cliff de young now susan sarandon played janet in rocky horror picture show and cliff de young played brad in the quote-unquote sequel shock treatment mm-hmm <laughs> And of and as far as um, connecting all of it, there's an actor by the name of Rufus, Rufus Collins, who is in this movie, um, and and she was in both Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment. Just making those connections. That's how bored you were during the movie. <laughs> you just like I'm getting on IMDb. According, according to uh, Sarandon, she had an affair with Bowie while working on the film. Nice. I don't know who I'm more jealous of. Um, did anybody catch William Defoe in the movie? Nope. Oh, at the phone booth. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the the phone booth. The phone booth. <laughs> the phone booth. <laughs> the phone booth. <laughs> Love it. <clears throat> Anything else? Tony's made say? a lot of good movies. I mean, a lot of big. Oh yeah. Very big movies. Yeah, God rest his soul. I mean, his his list of films are fucking crazy. 
yeah, between you know, True Romance and uh, Last Boy Scout. I mean, those are some of my favorite films. Followed this up with Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Days of Thunder, Last Boy Scout, Crimson Tide, The Fan, Enemy of the State. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad I saw it at least once, though. I mean, I've I've always kind of been interested in the movie, but I'm I'm glad I watched it. You know. Yeah, I remember you saying that you were excited to finally get to watch this one, and yeah. you still I feel mean, that way. Okay, that's good. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't. You know, I don't try to be a jerk about movies unless I've got a real big problem with them. Uh, But, you know, this, um, like I said, I've I've seen worse films and uh, I'm I'm not going to run out and go buy this and be proud of it uh, sitting sitting on my shelf. But I mean, it's got it's got good stuff in it. But, you know, but it's also got some stuff that like we've just discussed that. We aren't that thrilled about, but um, I'm happy to say that I've yeah I've seen it. So you know, I'm glad I'm glad to see 1983 Susan Sarandon boobies anytime. So that's good too. So I'm not going <laughs> to complain. Hmm. And maybe maybe I the things I liked about it were the things that um, Mike sort of hit on as complaints. Like, you know, he's like saying it's not necessarily original. It looked like Blade Runner. I'm like, well, yeah, and I love Blade Runner. So, you know, maybe that's what I like about it. Sometimes uh, I'm okay with a little bit of, you know, imitation or uh, not necessarily ripping them off. But it's like, you know, I, I, I think I maybe it's like the sum of everything in the movie, not necessarily the way they were all put together. Cause I like all the actors and actresses and I yeah. like the director and I liked the look of it and feel of it. But when you put it all together, it doesn't necessarily make it a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think that's where this one is for sure. Well, all right. Any, uh, honorable mentions? Any other ones jump out? Any other directors that made a one-time horror movie? I I suggested a few like when oh, yeah. we were deciding, but I'm trying to remember what they were. I'm off the top of my head. Let's see. Um, I think. Oh well, he was talking about Near Dark. Oh yeah, that's one. You know. Oh, yeah. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, uh, you could say "What Lies Beneath" Robert Zemeckis, but I don't. Yep. I, I'm not a big fan of that movie necessarily. Uh, but it's just it's like that is one. That's not one I necessarily like, but that is one. I remember when that movie came out. I, Mike and I was Mike. He he had to step away, but he uh, was shit in his pants because i feel like in that movie it's like one of the first not first but like uh first time i heard him like embrace mike uh embrace cgi um (laughs) because they do this one shot where they just kind of follow 
like during this car chase you're just going in and out of windows and up and down and around and it's all this kind of one takey feel and it's all done I don't know I just remember that about what lies beneath um, being super cool I just remember the cover wasn't like a hand <laughs> on the edge of a tub or something yeah something like that I think my brother had it on like he was one of his first DVDs and I uh saw that cover i'm like oh this could be cool i was pretty young and put it in and it's like oh this isn't that cool <laughs> <laughs> All right, i had seen a lot better even by then so i was not impressed even from my brother you know he was he was always had good taste in movies so i expect a little more out of him like why do you own this that was that was his first DVD, or no? He just had one of one of his like he had like a small stack of movies like when he first started buying DVDs, and that was one of them. For some reason, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Not sure why he made that choice because my first one was a Porky's one and two double feature. <laughs> my, I, I, I think I still have. I can still remember my first. I think I remember my first three DVDs that I bought, and uh, two of them were horror movies. Uh, my very first DVD was Phantasm, and the second one was the remake of The House on Haunted Hill, hmm. and the third one was uh, Conan the Barbarian, actually. Still have them. Gosh dang, I can't remember that far back. I remember my first Blu-ray disc. That was the movie Nine, that animated one. That's a good one. Oh, yeah, okay. I liked it a lot. I had a like a GE five-disc DVD changer that you could put <laughs> five movies in and shift between them. <laughs> it was like net Netflix before Netflix. It's right, like what am I? Five movies. <laughs> and I remember the the Porky's DVD. I still have it. It's like a flipper disc. And when I got it, I was like, "What is this wild technology? Like, I could just flip it to the other side, and there's another movie on the other side. Why aren't all things like this?" <laughs> like now, vinyl records. <laughs> yeah. Now I like hate you know flip <laughs> flipper discs. Oh yeah, I hate the ones that's one side's widescreen, one side's full, and you never fucking know yeah. which one the right side is until it's. Yep. You put the wrong rem- one in first, and I remember being so pissed off having one of those flipper discs, and it was Goodfellas. Oh, half the movie—it was like a laser disc. It was like half the movie was on one side, and the other half was on the other, on like a DVD. You had to watch it and flip the disc, like yes, I had to flip Goodfellas <laughs> in order to watch the whole movie on a DVD, not a laser disc. Where, where did they break the movie? Uh, it's when I had to flip it to the other side and it has Lorraine Bracco. Uh, she's like, um, uh, she's buzzing, uh, one of, uh, Ray Liotta's girlfriends. And she's just saying, I want you to know that you have a whore living in 209. Oh yeah. 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 Then she's freaking out. I, I think that's the number. She just, hello, is this the manager? You have a whore living in 209. <laughs> you know, I, More that's impressions. Where, that's where the flip. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can do a, you know, an old uh, middle-aged Jewish woman that well, but oh well. 
the yeah the Goodfellas. Uh, but now I have the Blu-ray, and it's yeah. Goodfellas is just a must-have. So I, I yeah. at that point, I would have, you know, I was mad that I had to flip the disc, but I was willing to because, dude, it's Goodfellas. Yeah, I remember we got um, Titanic on VHS, and it had two tapes, and it was like <laughs> you had to make sure the second one was rewound because you don't want to be in the middle of the movie and have to switch uh, and be like, oh, yeah. shit, we skipped a bunch. Because, you know, rewinding was a thing at one time. Remember that, kid? Near, far. <laughs> yeah, singing, this, this, this is when This is when everyone tunes off of the podcast <laughs> and starts talking about yeah. the Titanic VHS thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay. I, I think I've told you guys before, like, one of my favorite things to do for uh, my friends' birthdays is to go buy, v- like, bad VHS tapes yep. for them. And there's always, like, a good abundance of Titanic tapes and I always want to get because since it's two VHS two tapes, one. I want to pick up like five copies of somebody for somebody. It's like a good doorstop. <laughs> I think it. I think it should be like a challenge. Like sometime we should we should like get together and see how many Titanics we can buy to like, you know, you see those guys like make thrones and shit out of them. I bet you yeah. make a, like a chair. I, I bet you it wouldn't even take that long. It'd probably like no. maybe take like a. Take like a week to get that many Titanic tapes to make a make a Titanic chair. A throne of Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, we should get this uh, moving along. Uh, I think um, we say we take a break and we come back. We'll do some segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Did you miss us? Um, just let's get started with everybody's favorite segment. Let's do some shout outs. It's time for shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. All right. So we just uh, asked, um, you know, what. What are your favorite one and done horror films? And we had a few had a few comments on Facebook. We had uh, Nick Leadham. He says probably the third time I'm bringing up this movie on here, but Raw. Um, I wouldn't say she's finished with horror, but so far it's the only one she's done. I love that movie. It was so good. Did you guys see Raw? Oh yeah, I think I've listed it in one of my tops of last year. Yeah. Super good. Sorry, I I have not. Well, watch it. <coughs> um, Nick also says Jaws, Spielberg's only official horror movie, in my opinion. He didn't officially direct Poltergeist. And then Tad comments. He has to get smarty pantsy and puts the dual poster. 
probably the best made-for-TV movie of all time. Yeah. Do- Hands down. But Nick admits, he says, I've yet to see this movie all the way through, but it always seemed like a suspense thriller to me. Well, that's kind of horror, too. Um, Nick also said, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, though I hear they're working on a sequel now. And Images by Robert Altman. Can't say I've seen that. Images? Nope, never seen it. Nope. Not I. Dang, all right. Then we got Brian Clark, our buddy old pal, old buddy old pal. He says, Transformations was not only Jay Kamen's only horror film, it was his only feature film, period. The commentary track on the Kino Lorber Blu-ray is an interesting look into the exasperating world of making movies for Charles Band. Has to be, right? Helming the movie in an Italian studio rented from Dino De Laurentiis was, Cayman says, the worst experience of his entire life. The movie is an absolute mess, but it's a fun mess with lots of gooey special effects. Too bad Cayman lost control of the final edit because it was originally intended to include a camp disco musical number. Well, that sounds freaking awesome. (coughs) Thanks, Brian. Up next, we got William McKenzie F. Keenum says, I can't even begin to think because I've seen so many and slowly look into directors. Well, William, get off your butt and start looking at directors, man. Didn't St. Michael tell you that it's the most important part of movies? Yeah, That's, directors. Yeah, see? Says a director. I mean... I think they should have like their own trading cards. Right? Up next, we got Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? He says, George Makalka should be given more following. Should, should be been given more following his awesome turn in My Bloody Valentine. And after oh, Creepshow yeah. 2, I would be quite glad to see Michael Gornick try his hand at it again. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously I'm a Gornick <laughs> fan because, you know, he was George Romero's editor for, uh-huh. or, uh, not sorry, editor, his DP for a long time. So, and, you know, Creepshow 2 being his one feature that he directed. And I like Creepshow 2 a lot. Heck yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yep. Gotta love that raft. Hell yeah. Oh, so good. Up next, we got Ann Monty says, Slither, James Gunn, one of my faves. That's a good one. That's a good one. <coughs> Disgusting, funny, Fillion, and Rooker, and just a wonderful homage to campy old school horror. I wouldn't classify his trauma work as horror. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah, that's not yeah. really, yeah. That's good. Wouldn't just James Gunn getting the bucks and... Make a horror, another do, horror. Do another awesome. horror film? It would be cool. The Slither rules. I like, I always associate him with horror, but it's true. It, now that I think about it, Slither's really the only one. Well, as a director, yep. he wrote uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yep. So he's kind of oh. attached to it. But I thought you were going to say Scooby-Doo. And I was like, what? <laughs> Scary. <laughs> and uh, lastly on Facebook, we got... Jean-Claude Campbell Morea Morera says 
Kubrick's Shining. Stanley Kubrick. Cardaham. Yep. Uh, Von Trier's Antichrist. Uh-huh. Probably not technically considered horror by many. Hmm. But Von I Trier. Th- maybe. I think sure. so. I mean, yep. there's definitely a lot of horrific imagery in there, though. Yep. Yeah. And then don't forget. But then he just did a. Uh, yeah. Um, yep. Jack, the house that Jack built. House that Jack oh. built, so it's nice to have him back. That mm-hmm. movie's awesome. And Lynch's Eraserhead. Yeah, Lynch is another one of those two that I feel like, I don't know if you can necessarily say he's ever truly directed a horror film, but his films definitely, I feel like they're crossover genre films. They're dipped toes. There's toes that are dipped, or, you know, a lot of Lynch fans are also horrorcore horror fans, so there's like a, you know, there's a connection, obviously, Guilty as charged. <laughs> and yes, there's some definitely some horrific imagery in, in um, Eraserhead, but as well as a lot of other of his films, you know. There's a lot of really, I think... Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Um, Basically everything. Yeah. Inland Empire. Blue Velvet, I even feel, has some horror elements to it. All right. Well, then, uh, also over on our Facebook group, you know what? I want to take a second. While we're talking about Facebook, if you listen to the show, go like our page, gosh dang it. We're getting so close to a 1,000, this will get me yes. to shut up about it. <laughs> we are so close. All we want is a 1,000 for now. And then right. we'll go uh-huh. from there. I think, but, yeah, I think we get a sticker or you know, like a cupcake or something for getting I there. I like so. cupcakes. I know. I want you to have that cupcake. So if you're listening and you haven't liked our page on Facebook... If Please. you have liked our page, invite all your friends. Copy and paste it to your friends' <laughs> page so they'll like it too. That's right. And then also on Facebook, we also have a group, a little group page, which is pretty awesome. It's a great chance to get more uh, discussion with us and all our friends. And That's right. And every once in a while, I'll chime in. Right. And then you'll take your post down. Hey, don't pick on Jack. <laughs> Gosh dang it. It was a good talk. It was a great talk. I was bummed he took it down. <laughs> I was having fun. Uh-huh. Pushing them buttons. But anyway. Well, he said he wanted to fight. You know, he did. He's so fault. I don't think... Anyway. <clears throat> um, <coughs> so in our Facebook group, um, we have our uh, good pal Tim Lennerer um, from uh, the Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie Podcast on the PFPN. Woo! Um, they're pretty awesome. Tim says, off the top of my head, M. Night Shyamalan, because I don't care what you call it when it's got a Best Picture nomination. The Sixth Sense is a horror movie. Damn straight it's a horror movie. Damn straight. And yes, Tim, I totally agree with you. How many great horror films have been shamelessly labeled thriller just because the Academy recognizes it, but they don't want to give credit to the horror genre. Motherfuckers. He says it's also an amazingly frightening one, especially within the limits of what you can show in a PG-13 movie. And that's just the thing, too. Sixth Sense is a great example of, like, you don't have to have a body count to to be a good horror movie. What you got to have is to scare the shit out of people. Yes, at the end of the film, there was really nothing to be afraid of. Right? Right. You know? But who cares? In that moment, 
when that back of that kid's head's blown off, that one kid ghost has the back of his head blown It's freaking terrifying. Yeah. He quotes, uh, let me show you where my dad keeps his gun. Yes, that's exactly what from, I'm talking about. From a ghost kid in a 70s sweater. He said, that's dialogue that turns your blood to liquid nitrogen without showing a thing. Also, and I'm not kidding here, he says, it's a fantastic Bruce Willis performance that doesn't rely on anything from his usual bag of actor tricks. Shyamalan's career went off to crazy town for a while, but before he OD'd on his own hype, he made something legitimately brilliant. There's still a lot of brilliance in there, and it's a lot that even still tips into horror. Signs, I think it's, I don't care what anybody says, I still think it's a great movie, and it's definitely a horror movie. It's got one of the scariest moments in, in cinema, in my opinion. Um, you know, when they're in the basement and that hand, it just happens, that alien hand just happens to be there, uh, sticking through the rocks, man, ah, and it moves and then the lights go out and I'm like, oh my God. I got a, I got a question. Um, if these aliens can be driven away by water, why would they go go to a, why would they go to a planet that's made up of 70% of it? Okay. Um, there's a lot of things I could say about that. Like. You know, one, getting a new shtick. I'm not trying to be two, a jerk. I'm just saying. <laughs> two, um, what other? I don't think it. I don't think it's just water. I don't think it just has to do with the fact that it's water, because these are carbon-based life forms. Carbon-based life forms have water inside them. They're not allergic to water. Maybe it's something within our tap water that that does it to them. Obviously, our tap water is full of chemicals, so it could be that. A friend of mine, also who also is a big fan of this movie, pointed out that the fact that the um, star of this film, the main character of this film, is a priest, so maybe all the water in the house is blessed. And that's because there's like a crazy theory out there that they're not really aliens, they're demons. Oh, neat. And, and yeah, and so it's really holy water. So yeah! Put that in your pipe and smoke it! Yeah, and they're no other well, what if the what if these aliens are eight? What if what if they are aliens and they're atheists? <laughs> <laughs> it's in the deleted scenes. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Just no, that's I'm fine. just playing devil's advocate. No pun intended. Got it. Uh, oh, well. Anyway, that's uh, nothing over on Twitter or Instagram. But you can always follow us there. You can also, if you want to leave us a comment to be read on the show, you can give us a call, leave us a voicemail. You can call us at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. And that's shout-outs. So speaking of uh, crazy online, I know um, like I'm totally cutting in here to whoever is in charge of the amazing Insane Picks intro this, this episode. Right. But... Just thinking about that online um, theory that I was just talking about, about the aliens being... Has anybody... Am I the only one that has seen these videos on YouTube about this theory that Snowpiercer... This is like my favorite theory of all time. I'm so into this. That Snowpiercer is a is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What? Yes. Sounds crazy, right? But then watch these videos, because it oh makes gosh. fucking sense, and it's amazing. I haven't heard of that theory, but now I totally want to look into it. But yeah, I my- think you can find them. There's like a few, a few different videos online about it. 
or on on YouTube about it. So I think if you just type in Willy Wonka Snowpiercer, they should pop up. My my favorite theory is that Kevin McAllister becomes Jigsaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that one too. What? You guys have too much well, fucking time on your hands. <laughs> the Snowpiercer <laughs> one is, on YouTube, is the Snowpiercer yeah. one is great though, and I'm not the one with too much free time. It's these guys who did these videos because they are making amazing links to things that you just don't even pay attention to in either film. It's awesome. We're going to watch one when we're done recording. I don't know. I got to go. <laughs> but before I do that, I want to make sure to introduce everyone's favorite segment, Insane's Picks. <laughs> Hi everybody, Insane Mike here, with another Insane's Picks. Uh, this time, going all the way back to 1979, we're going to go over the waters here. It's time to do some Italian cinema. Um, I'm going to do a little Sergio Martino film this time around. We're going to do Screamers, Island of Fishmen. This movie was awesome. I actually just watched this for the first time ever. I've heard of this film um, for years, and I've never watched it. But I watched it for the first time ever preparing for this episode. And it's it's on entirely um, on the Shout Factory app that you can get on Roku. So they oh. must have obviously put it out on DVD and Blu-ray as well. So I'm going to have to look into that. Because this movie, I had such a great time with this movie. It's so much fun. Um, with that said, I realized here the last couple times I've watched something on the Shout Factory um, TV um, streaming channel, they don't interrupt the movie with ads anymore. Really? Yeah. Because oh, that was cool. the worst thing about it. It would just never be more random than that channel. Yeah. It was super annoying. Yeah, watched that movie straight through with no... And, oh, like, wow. when we did the last episode, <laughs> and you had my Night Riders DVD, and I wanted to watch the commentary track, so I just... You know, they got commentary tracks on, on that channel as well, so I watched the Night Riders commentary track on the Shout Factory, and it it kind of it, it kind of didn't really occur to me until I was watching uh, Screamers, like, I don't remember any commercials during Night Riders either. So, so they got rid of that. That's awesome. Um, yay. So anyway, I'm talking about Screamers, Island of Fishmen. So this movie is, is definitely an Italian Island of Dr. Moreau ripoff. Only instead of an island of, like, mutant animal men, um, it's all fish people. Um, that, uh, have, that have, uh, come from the city of Atlantis, sunken city of Atlantis. So, <clears throat> the movie starts off, um, with these people that, uh, get stranded on this island and they all get killed off one by one by the fist monsters, and all this craziness is going on, and, and all that happens before the opening title sequence, which I'll get into more about that here in a minute. But the movie itself, it's um, basically a, a bunch of people floating at sea from some prison boat. It's a, it's a, a doctor um, and a bunch of the prisoners who all hate this doctor guy because they know that as soon as they get to civilization, he's just going to turn them back over to the police. But he was actually responsible for saving these guys' life in the first place. So they're floating out at sea, and then um, their boat gets attacked uh, 
as they get closer to this island by the fish people, and several of them get killed off, and um, a few survive and, and wake up on the shore of this island. And lo and behold, they find other civilians that are on this island that have been living there for a while, um, including uh, a professor and his daughter, um, Amanda Marvin and Professor Ernest Marvin, and then our rich asshole villain of the film, um, and then all these like like local um, um, tribesmen that live on the island as well. <clears throat> and then you know people are still kind of secretly getting killed off one by one by these by these fishmen, and you know, come to find out that. Uh, not too far away from this island is the sunken um, city of Atlantis, where our rich asshole bad guy is making the fishmen mine the um, lost city of Atlantis for all these treasures so he can be rich. Uh, but the professor is part of the plan, too, because the professor is actually the person that's making the fishmen. He's turning these local tribesmen into the fish people. Um so that they can go get the treasure so the professor thinks it's gonna so he can raise money to further his research when in fact that the rich asshole is just plans on ripping them off and running off with all the treasures um, <clears throat> so you know very island of Dr. Moroish the fishmen look awesome some of the costumes um, don't hold up as strong as some of the others but I love the look you know they, they are total like fish head men um, with kind of a humpback kind of thing, so it's almost like it's it's like a fish body that has like arms and legs to it. They're really cool looking, gnarly sharp teeth and buggy fish eyes. So much fun. There's a there's a scene where you get to see one of the fishmen in like mid process of changing, and that makeup is incredible looking. That one was um, really amazing. I loved it. Just all slimy and and sluggish looking. Um, you know, you see the, you get to see the fishmen underwater. Um, you know, the uh, the hands of the fishmen are they literally look like they stole off of the Universal um, backlot. They stole the mold for the creature from the Black Lagoon hands because these look just like the creature's hands with gnarly ass claws on the end of them. Um, so, so much fun! Great monster movie. Um, the character of <clears throat> the uh, oh shoot, I lost my place. Uh, the character of Amanda is played by uh, Barbara Bach, who was in Spy Who Loved Me, um, uh, one of the greatest movies starring Ringo Starr of all time, Caveman. Hell yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> she got married to Ringo Starr, actually. That's true. Um, Another she was in another Sergio uh, Martino movie, Alligator, <coughs> and she was also in a movie that I've been desperately trying to find forever, um, called Up the Academy. Now, Up the Academy is a screwball comedy in the vein of Animal House, uh, as a matter of fact, and it was a movie that was produced by Mad Magazine. And I remember as a child, this is like one of those fever dreams where I thought I just imagined it. I remember seeing this commercial for the Mad Magazine movie when I was a little kid. And I was, as a kid, I was a big fan of Mad Magazine. And I was like, I've got to see this. But I never saw it. And I couldn't even remember the name of it as I grew older. And I've always been trying to find the movie that Mad Magazine made. 
And basically what it boils down to is like Mad Magazine was trying to capitalize what National Lampoon was doing because National Lampoon um, went from being a satirical magazine into making motion pictures like Animal House and so on. <coughs> and so Mad Magazine was trying to get in on that as well. But I remember specifically from the trailer seeing Alfred E. Newman in the trailer. And apparently there is a shot of Alfred E. Newman somewhere in this movie because as I was going down the rabbit hole of, of trivia on Screamer's Island of Fishmen, I ended up going down the rabbit hole of Up the Academy and Rick Baker did the Alfred E. Newman mask that is worn in the scene in Up the Academy. So I've got to find this movie. Um, it also has Joseph Cotton in it who um, pl plays the, the professor in it. Uh, and... Oh, some uh, some great Italian actors in it as well, um, but it's also got Cameron Mitchell, Mel Ferreira, Tom Delaney, and I'm thinking, and the all these great classic actors are in the opening scene and are just killed off instantly. And as you're watching this movie, you're like the opening scene. Actually, it's got like some weird skeletal zombie creatures in it that are never appear again in the movie. The opening scenes are way more violent than the rest of the film. And, and everything is just much darker and grittier than the rest of the film as well. And I was like, this does not look like Sergio uh, Martino at all at the beginning of the film. Well, as I'm doing... Re and then all of a sudden, before the title of the movie pops up... Um, it's a New World Pictures production. I'm like, okay, oh. I think I'm starting to figure this out. So as Roger. I'm researching that this Italian production was bought by Roger Corman to be released by New World Pictures, <clears throat> and Jim Wynorski, of all people, shot additional footage for oh. the opening of the film um, wow. that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And I love that shit. It's like Dr. Butcher MD did the same thing when it was released in the... Uh, it was originally Zombie Holocaust in, in um, European countries. But when it was released in the state under Dr. Butcher MD, they took this like old foot, this footage that was shot for a movie that was never finished of some zombie film. And so the opening credit sequence is these credits over top of these, of these zombies crawling out of graves, which... Also has nothing to do with Dr. Butcher MD whatsoever. So I love that stuff. I love when that stuff happens. It's hilarious. And and it does this and and I'll gotta tell you, like those openings that opening scene, which also now that I know this, it is kind of Warnerski esque in when watching these scenes. Um <clears throat> those are awesome. I mean that's what sucked me into the moving with movie was those beginning scenes. It's a lot more monsters and fishmen and like these zombie guys and like it was way gorier than the rest of the movie. Um, so uh, that's what sucked me in. So what they did actually worked. Now, you can also find this movie under the title Something Waits in the Dark. Or, and uh, when you watch that trailer, it actually uses a lot more of the opening scene um, footage in that trailer than, the, and than any of the rest of the film. So, um, But, uh, yeah, so it should be pretty easy to find because it looks like Shout Factory um, has their hands on it. So I'm assuming I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look now because I'm assuming there's got to be a Blu-ray or a DVD out there by these guys because I found it on their channel. But I would highly recommend if you like monster films and you like you know cool creature suits, you gotta check out Screamer's Island of the Fishmen from 1979. Fun. Yeah. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they use that same cut-and-paste technique for the movie Snuff? Oh, did they? I don't know. I'd have to go look. I, I 
I think I think it was they they had bought this film that was uh, filmed in like uh, South America, and they just added on like this this ending sequence where they did this mock killing of this of this girl because like they made it look like the cameras had turned off and the movie was over and it was like this it, it almost it almost looked like something that they forgot to erase mm-hmm. and then they did this mock killing of this of this girl that was just unwilling to you know get freaky with the film producer and everything and uh, the whole thing was, uh, they got brought into court because like the mayor of New York, you know, when this was being filmed, I mean, being shown in the grindhouses out on 42nd street, uh, he, they thought that this w- woman was being legitimately killed. And by today's standards, it doesn't even look remotely close to being real. Uh, but they had to, they had to bring the woman into court and say that okay this is our actress who is you know pregnant <laughs> right now and she is very much alive so yeah nice so, nice i'll have to do some more research on that because I, I still have never even actually seen snuff so that that's what i had i read about it i i think i i saw like the ending scene like a long time ago and that's what basically caused a stink uh, about you know all this and that so i mean i love it when that stuff happens you would think as a filmmaker myself that i would hate it and generally as a filmmaker and as an artist i do but it's just one of those tactics from that era of filmmaking that i love so much like 70s and 80s exploitation cinema um it's like it's obviously one of my favorite things ever and that stuff would happen all the time you know you know, it's like uh, in the '70s that happened a lot with um, like a lot of more sleazier films, where mm-hmm. the producers thought, "Well, we can go even sleazier with this," and took and would take and actually insert triple um, X rated footage into <laughs> into films, <laughs> like um, they call her One Eye. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, Christina Lindbergh, isn't that that that's who was in that? I don't remember the actress's name. I think maybe, maybe. maybe. John Stalter's pissed at you. Yeah, right I was gonna now. say, yeah, John Stalter um, would know for sure the name. Uh, I'm just I'm terrible at remembering actresses' names, but uh, um, that's probably right. Yes. But yes, yes. Uh, but that movie, yeah, that movie had you know uh, like um, the Sinful Dwarf was also the same way. That, oh, that movie God. had. Um, triple X footage spliced in. Not long ago. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know that stuff would happen all the time. And I, I mean, I would think like if I was a filmmaker from that era and that happened to one of my films, I'd probably be pissed. But I'm not, so I love it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a um, uh, I I'll I'll get off this subject, but there's a there's a very interesting um. DVD release of Snuff and it was basically it was like an anniversary thing that they did for it and they made it so bare bones that they they tried to, it's a DVD but they made it so bare bones that they made it actually look like a Snuff film I mean the casing it came in like a regular casing like a you know a DVD case and it said Snuff on it but the outer casing was like a brown paper bag that said snuff on it. 
and it's basically made it look like you got it from like some very like some dirty nasty person out of the trunk of their car in like some dark alley and basically from what i heard is you put the dvd in it has no it has no menu <laughs> at all and it just starts playing uh-huh. So I mean it is it is so it's so bare bones, but it's 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 not just piss well it's piss poor production value, but it's piss poor production value for a purpose yeah. to make it even seem more snuff like. So it's just an interesting way that they marketed you know the the film on its you know new re- DVD release. Nice. All right, so that's it, man. That's uh, that's another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast in the books. Woo. So thanks again. Thanks everybody. Yes, thanks everybody for listening and joining us on this venture. I hope everybody had a good time, and we will talk to you all again soon on the next episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Oh no! Could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer podcast.